0: just go to com. It's magical.
1: This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm David Walker, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, the Forever Mad Online, Gina Kelly. Gina, how are you?
0: I am doing great, David. Thanks. How are you?
1: Fantastic. We are also joined by the editor-in-chief at Falcoholic and the wind beneath my wings, the one and only <laughs> Dave Choate. Dave, how you doing?
2: Did you ever know you're my hero? <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're off to a fantastic start. Um, our special guest for this podcast is Michael Rothstein. He is the new Atlanta Falcons reporter at
3: ESPN. We're excited to have him. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, although I'm pretty sure that I might have just walked into a Beaches podcast. I'm not really sure. <laughs> and for like the four people who got that reference, like congratulations, I'm glad you like 80s movies. That
1: um, was a well-placed reference. And I am going to ask our readers to, to weigh in on whether they heard uh, and understood the Beaches commentary. Um, all right. So with that, we thought it would be good, Michael, to spend a little time with you. Have you introduce yourself to Atlanta fans, uh, learn a little bit about your background, get your thoughts about coming in to cover uh, this franchise in the middle of a major transition. So really, you're, you're coming to Atlanta, sort of a perfect time coming in with a new GM, new head coach. Um, so I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael, where you're from, your background, and you know what ultimately led to you heading to Atlanta to cover the Falcons?
3: Yeah, sure. And before I get into that, I just want to very quickly say because it kind of answers the la- part of the last part is that uh, obviously this job became open because of you know the, the death of Vaughn McClure. And Vaughn right. and mm-hmm. I knew each other for well before both either one of us worked at ESPN for 13 years. We covered Notre Dame at the same time together. And oh, wow. I-, I said it when I... Uh, took the job or when I it was, an, I announced that I was taking the job that like Vaughn is one of the reasons I'm still in the business and I, I just hope that I'm able to live up to the legacy that Vaughn left because I know the tremendous job that Vaughn did covering the Falcons and how respected he was covering the Falcons and it's mm-hmm. you know massive shoes to fill and I just wanted to kind of for Falcons fans who may you know obviously hopefully all still remember Vaughn uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted a, them to know immediately like you know, I'm coming at this from a very, uh, respectful place of like Vaughn and I are different, but like, I just hope I can report like Vaughn. And that's kind of a mantra that I've had for a long time. But like when I say Vaughn, Vaughn McClure is the reason I'm still in this business. That's a hundred percent true because I was thinking about leaving the business when we were both in Indiana and he told me not, he basically was one of the people that was like trying to encourage me not to. So wow. Before any of the fun and interesting stuff, I just want to kick off by just saying like, of how, you know, what Vaughn meant to me. And uh, for those who may have forgotten or may who may have not heard or do not know, there is the Vaughn Foundation, which you can donate to that. Is offering scholarships in a bunch of different areas up in his native Chicago and at where he, Northern Illinois, where he went. So I figured I would uh, mention that. I'm not one who will plug stuff, but that's something I would definitely think that Falcons absolutely. listeners uh, may or may or may not, may not know may not know about. But that is something that maybe some of them would be interested in. And uh, hopefully, I can send y'all after the show's over the link to the page. If anyone, if you guys want to include it, in that way, anyone can donate if yes. they want to. Yes, yeah, um, absolutely so uh that said uh I grew up in new york uh, I grew up on long Island uh, I grew up walking distance more or less from New York jets training camp uh in, I grew up in east Meadow New York and jets the jets had their training camp in uh Uniondale at Hofstra University or Hempstead, depending on how specific you want to get <laughs> uh I grew up there my parents did not let me play football when I was a kid um uh, my knees and back and some other body parts are very thankful for that now because um <laughs> five foot ten and a hundred and somewhere between 180 100, like it just would not have worked well especially because like i i just didn't have the skill for it let's just be honest so i went to syracuse and majored in broadcast journalism wanted to be on tv wanted to be like every person that goes to syracuse the next bob costas and <laughs> that did not happen about my sophomore year. I took a TV class. This is a long story. I uh, took a TV class. I couldn't do, this was back before like they had the cameras that moved. You had to move to turn to the cameras. And I looked like basically a velociraptor turning from camera one to camera two. Uh, so realized this was maybe not the way to go. At the same time, I also started working at the Daily Orange, the school paper. And I found that I really loved writing and loved being able to tell people stories through really sitting down and getting to know them versus a 90 second VOSOT or a two minute package. And I fell in love with writing and I decided I wanted to do that as a career. Uh, And at Syracuse at the time, my classmates who were at the Daily Orange at the time, our graduating class was myself, Greg Bishop, who's the lead uh, NFL guy really for Sports Illustrated and Jeff Passan, who's the lead baseball writer for Yahoo. They're two of my closest friends. And we all we all graduated from Syracuse the same year working at the D.O. Two years later was a guy named Eli Saslow, who is a Pulitzer Prize winner. So it was a great time to be there. I learned more from and I can say this because I've said this at classes at Syracuse to maybe the chagrin of some of the professors. I learned more <laughs> from the D.O. than I did from any class at Syracuse. Uh, my GPA would probably also attest to that. So I graduated <laughs> I freelanced everywhere from D.C. to Boston in hopes of landing a job and just getting paychecks. And it it was a time in journalism that you could do that. Uh, I did that for a summer and then I got a job where I moved sight unseen to Victorville, California, which is in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Uh, (laughs) I wanted to move to California. That was not California that I thought I was moving to. Um, like I said, I moved sight unseen. I flew in. my dad loves to tell the story that I looked to my left, and this makes me sound stupid, so uh, this is just what you 're getting <laughs> at this point in the podcast that uh I turned and I thought that the like I thought there were storm clouds coming in, but they were the mountains, and we drove through them, and it was you know pitch black and you couldn 't really see anything and there was a sign that said the exit for the town I was living in, and uh, this was like where I was living. Uh, so that was my first job. I was there 11 months. Then I moved to Harrisonburg, Virginia, um, where I worked for two years at the daily news record. And I was lucky enough to work under a man named Chris Simmons, who uh, unfortunately has passed away, I guess four or five years ago. Now he was my mentor. He was a mentor to me. He is very much a reason why I am where I am today, because he just taught me so much about the business and just about life. Um, and he has, he's done a real, he did a really good job of finding young journalists and, and really working with them. So after two years there, I moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I covered Notre Dame for four years, um, along with some IndyCar, some NASCAR, high schools, uh, just a whole bunch of everything. And then I got, when the Ann Arbor News folded in 2009, I, the, they started a startup, which was called com, and they asked me to come and cover Michigan, or I applied and I got the job to co and cover Michigan basketball and ended up kind of writing some columns about football. I did that for two years and kind of just being around Notre Dame and Michigan, and I had created this thing called the National College Basketball of the Year poll, Player of the Year poll which had for like five or six years gotten the National College Basketball Player of the Year right. And for those who follow college basketball, you know there's like four or five different awards. Um, so that, that, along with some other stuff and some news that I had broken, uh, caught the attention of somebody who was hiring for new college team sites for ESPN. And they asked if I would be interested in covering Michigan for them. It was ESPN. It was the place I wanted to work since I was, you know, nine 10 years old, maybe. (laughs) And, you know, I, it's funny if you go look at my high school yearbook. Now, every person has wrote like, Oh, we're going to see you on NBC sports one day, like or ESPN one day. And it's like, you know, I I look back at that recently because I had my 20 year high school reunion. Oh, I guess like three or four years ago. And I like flipped through it and how many people said that. And I was like, Oh, well I I actually did that. That's kind of shocking. (laughs) Uh, So I got hired by ESPN in 2011, covered Michigan for two years. And then they started NFL nation. And I had asked, uh, you know, I, I had plans, frankly, I wanted to be a national college basketball writer. That was what I wanted. That was what I wanted for years. It was kind of my, my dream. And, you know, dreams change and, and goals change. And I realized that the NFL was something I wanted to try. And ESPN was gracious enough to say, yeah, we'll give you a shot. And they had me stay in Detroit and I covered the Lions and I covered the Lions for eight seasons. I covered I guess technically I covered Dan Campbell, so four head coaches, three general managers, oh wow, three owners, two team presidents oh, uh, in eight goodness. years, and uh, one quarterback. Um, I, I mean, I guess I was at Jared Goff's first or part of Jared Goff's first press conference, so I guess technically two starting, but really one starting quarterback, but a multitude of other people, and uh, one Hall of Famer in Calvin Johnson, mm. and then uh around January or so uh, it became clear that they were going to, to fill the Falcons job. Uh, and I kind of said, Hey, I don't maybe, yeah, let's, you know, I'd be interested in talking about it. I didn't know if I wanted to do it. And I talked to them about it. And then I came down to Atlanta in February. I was there for four days, two days in uh, after walking the Beltline, walking actually past the place I am now moving. Uh, I was like, yeah, I really want to do this. I'm a New Yorker at heart. The Beltline felt a little bit like the High Line in New York City. Piedmont Park mm-hmm. felt like a smaller version of Central Park. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm sold on this. And uh, luckily, my bosses felt the same way. And here I am, although I'm still technically in Michigan for another month or so uh, until I moved to Atlanta. Uh, here I am and uh, I'm covering the Falcons and it's I'm really excited for the opportunity and the challenge and covering a new team and uh, learning and a bunch of new players and kind of bringing these types of stories I tell to uh, the Falcons audience and, you know, in the way that I tell it, you know, the way that I tell them. And it, I'm just it's something I'm really, really excited about. And I've been really energized about. Uh, And really want to make sure I get it right, not only uh, for myself, because, you know, my job and all, but uh, to honor Vaughn as well and to to give Falcons fans really the coverage that, uh, you know, at least the coverage, the best coverage I can give them. And that's always been kind of for me, the goal of all of it is, you know, y'all, the fans that are like where the conduit meaning the media are the conduit from the fans to the team. Now, obviously that's changed a little bit, but I've always kind of stuck with that. Like the question, like the questions fans are asking are the ones that I'm going to try and ask, even though if they may seem like tough questions and they're not softballs, like, I mean, that's not, I'm not here to ask softballs. Like I'm asking the questions that people want to know. And uh, you know, that's kind of, I guess me in a very elongated story. So thanks for the listeners who are still here. Appreciate it. (laughs)
2: Speaking of those listeners, um, you know, obviously you were in the Detroit market for a while, you know, Lions fans really well, you know, how they've dealt with everything that's happened to the Detroit Lions. Um, Do you feel ready to engage with Falcons fans? And are your early impressions of the fan base? Are we similar to the Lions? Are we even sadder? I don't know. Where are
3: we at? <laughs> I mean, okay. So let us start here. Y'all have been to a this. super. Y'all have been to a Super Bowl. Um, oh, okay. So one thing before we before I get any further, because I know I say y'all a lot. Um, it's not it's not an act because I'm now moving to the south. I've said y'all for twenty plus years. Um, one of my friends in college said I was the most southern-sounding New Yorker he'd ever met. So <laughs> the y'all is very real. Um, see,
0: but, you were destined to be down here. I Absolutely. know.
3: Right? I, I feel it. <laughs> but I, well, my brother moved from New York to just outside Raleigh, so we're all kind of you know moving, uh, moving. I guess a little bit south. So, to your question, um, yeah, I don't know. I I mean. The Falcons have been to a Super Bowl. They've had more sustained success than the Lions have had, really, at any point in the Super Bowl era. So, I don't, I ha, I don't totally see it as a sadder thing. I think the fan bases are similar from what I've seen so far, but that's just um, three weeks, a month in, and right now, I think it's a time of hope for Falcons fans, and I think it's a time of hope for Lions fans. So, I think it's similar in that regard. Uh but I, I don't know. It's too early for me to really make a judgment on kind of one fan base to another because I think every fan base has its idiosyncrasies and its quirks. And almost every fan base thinks that their team is what are you doing? Why are you making these decisions? Like <laughs> I, I you know I, I I don't care what team you root for, you you hear that and I know that because I have friends from having lived all over the country, I have friends of multiple teams, and I'll listen to them talk about their teams, and they're all, every, everyone's complaining. No one, no one ever says, "Oh, you know, I, I really loved every move they made, and and I feel great about everything." Like, how often do you really hear that from a fan? Right? Never. Like, I, no, right? But like, that's that's the thing. So I don't, I I would be hesitant to compare fan bases at this point. Uh, Other than to say, I know the Falcons fan base is very passionate. I know the Lions fan base is very, very passionate, having spent eight years there. Uh, And what I've seen from the Lions, what I saw from the Lions fan base, I think that the franchises, at least kind of in their misery, are somewhat, have been somewhat similar. Obviously, the Lions have never made a Super Bowl, but they've had a ton of, interesting things happen to them at ends of games including yes. against positive by the way every falcons lions game and we're due for one this year too had every falcons lions game that i have covered and i covered three of them have all ended on the last play of the game and all ended in some bizarre fashion yes mm-hmm. so yeah So and, but but that fits yes. these fans that fits both of these franchises right because i mean the fa- the lions under matt patricia <laughs> I, and I mean, I asked Matt Patricia the question that led to the, you know, led to the infamous greatest fourth quarter, you know, call in Super Bowl history uh, quote that he gave because they had lost yet another fourth quarter lead in week one of I last mean. season against the Bears. And, and they lost a lot of fourth quarter leads. Well, what what, what have the Falcons been known for the last four, few years? Losing leads, so yeah. th- like the, fa- the the franchises,
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, but it's true, right? Like you're that's, not wrong. No. That, yes, absolutely. That's, that that's what it has been for both franchises. So it, it's interesting in that similarity between the two of what's happened on the field. I think the last few years, and both of them right now are starting anew with new GMs and new head coaches. The only difference is that the Lions have a new quarterback in Jared Goff where the Falcons still have Matt Ryan, but you know, Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford are very, I mean, they're friends, their wives are friends. And like, I actually wrote a story about their, I think we used the word bromance because one of like their mutual friends used the word bromance. <laughs> um, and I wrote about that back in 17, I think it was 17. Of in how, basketball league together here as they well. They I, Yeah. I wrote about that. That was, yeah. that was my story. Yeah. I wrote about, I talked to, uh, the Buffalo receivers coach, Chad Hall, who's uh, the brother-in-law of Matthew Stafford, also played on that team. And yeah, I mean, that that whole the, the Ryans and the Staffords are also very similar in that I get the sense that they're good people and they want to do a lot in the community. I mean, the Staffords did a ton in the community in Detroit, more than people even realize. And just from what I know of Matt Ryan and his the same wife, I feel like, yeah, yeah, it feels very similar there. And, and we'll see what happens with Matt Ryan this year, next year. I think the draft is going to tell us a lot of what the Falcons may see as the future with Matt Ryan. But there is, Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford, to me, are very similar as well in their careers and their career arcs. Matt Ryan obviously has won a little bit more, and I think has had a little bit of a better career than Matthew Stafford. But some of that has to do with, I think, the team around him in the playoffs as well. Sure.
0: Absolutely. Um, So I want to kind of pivot and I want to talk about Kyle Pitts. This is the guy that I would like to see the Falcons take it for. And um, I, you know, we are in the middle of our community mock draft on the SBNation.com and Dave took Trey Lance for the Falcons instead. So, yeah, but um, you, (laughs) you recently mocked Pitts, Pitts to the Falcons. And I guess one of the, one of the challenges people have in embracing the idea of pits at four is just like, do you really spend a a number four overall pick on a tight end, but he's more than just a tight end. Uh, He's a really versatile offensive weapon. So do you think that Kyle Pitts would need to be like a hall of fame level tight end, like a generational kind of tight end for the Falcons to use a pick that high on him?
1: And I'll, can I jump in here real quick, Michael? And sure. I want yeah. to. I, I want to pitch the fact that I think one of your most recent articles was about. You wrote about Kyle Pitts. I think I you. Did. So um, for our wow. readers and our listeners, um, Michael has actually written about this as well. Very good article that um, incidentally sold me more on Pitts after I read it. So please go ahead, uh, Gina. Sorry to jump in, but I felt like that was <laughs> an important point out as well.
3: Yeah. So I, I I don't know if you heard me laughing a little bit in the background that, that had nothing to do with Gina. It had everything to do with how we just spent the last five minutes or so comparing the lions and the Falcons. And, Mm -hmm. uh, if you know anything about the history of the lions, you know, that twice in the last eight years, they've taken a tight end in the top 10 TJ Hawkinson and Eric Ebron. So I I've had this conversation before about taking tight ends high. (laughs) This is not a new (laughs) conversation for me to be having. Uh, I listen I think Kyle Pitts is unique and he's unique in that as it was in the story that that David alluded to where Matt I talked with Matt Bowen one of my ESPN colleagues and we talked about the fact that you can really line Kyle Pitts up in multiple places and he's not your true tight end he's not your true inline tight end like you think of he's much more of a hybrid receiver tight end and you know Matt Bowen made the comp of Plaxico Burris who's a receiver and i think that that's kind of maybe how you should how people i think should view Kyle Pitts is yeah he'll be able to block and get in line you know a little bit but you're going to probably see him split out at least that's how i would use him uh, mm-hmm. and you can kind of use him a little bit all over the place to me and i hesitate to make this comparison And I'm stating that before I make it, (laughs) but from a from just a pure physical body type. He's slower, but from a pure physical body type, he reminds me a little bit of Calvin Johnson, just from a, Mm. a, a height, weight, physicality you know Calvin ran a much run fa- up ran a 40 about a 10th faster and is still the best player i've ever seen live in any mm-hmm. sport uh that i just think that they're like you like what you see from a traits perspective from Kyle Pitts and you like what you saw from a production perspective now they play a little bit of a different position obviously but Calvin mm-hmm. was a very very good blocker as well and to me i think that I can easily see the argument for Kyle Pitts in that Julio Jones is getting up there in years. You know he's not going to mm-hmm. be around forever, as much as Falcons fans would probably like him to be that. So if that if Kyle Pitts is arguably the second best player in the if they believe he's the second best player in the draft, we don't know what Terry Fontenot and what Arthur Smith believe, obviously. But say he's number two on their board behind Trevor Lawrence. Most people, I think, would agree Trevor Lawrence probably number one should be number one on every board. Well, if he's number two, if he's your second best player, I think you take him. And it goes back to what we were talking about before with Matt Ryan and kind of the uncertainty there because, and maybe this is going to hijack a a question that's coming down the road, but when you look at Matt Ryan, everyone knows he's going to be the starter in 2021. Now, depending on that contract and, and whether they were able to trade him or they designate him as a June 1st cut after you know after next season he might be around in 2022 as well so if you draft a quarterback this year the whole purpose of drafting a quarterback is getting that quarterback on the rookie contract building a team around that that quarterback so those last two years like that's a big window for you to win right well Mm -hmm. if matt ryan ends up being your starter in 2021 and 2022 you've now exhausted Three fifths of that rookie window contract on, yep. on 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 a rookie, and you still don't know if that rookie is the guy. You you know, obviously barring injury to Matt Ryan or something like that. But saying Matt Ryan doesn't get injured, um, and you know, has shown in throughout his history, like that generally doesn't happen. Like mm-hmm. where your your waste to me that that's a pick at number four that. Is a risky a riskier pick to take a quarterback because you sit him for a year that's one thing especially if it's trey Mm -hmm. lance you sit him but once you get in that second year if you're sitting him like if you're the packers and you do that with jordan love and jordan loves taken in the late 20s that's one thing sure uh but this is the number four pick you can get an elite player whether it's kyle pitts whether it's sewell from oregon whether it's a quarterback whether i mean I can't see them taking a Jamar chase, but whether it's a receipt, like there's a chance to get an elite elite player at four, if you say at four. So I think you should do that. And that's why I think what they do will tell us more about Matt Ryan and their, their vision of him for the future than anything else, what they do. And that's kind of the most interesting thing that I'm curious of seeing, but to kind of circle back to the question of Kyle Pitts, if you're not going to take a quarterback and you're unable to trade down, I think you take Kyle Pitts because it makes a lot of sense. uh, If you are the Falcons personally, I would look at Sewell, but I'm somebody who believes that you should try to extend your, your quarterback's career as much as possible. And Sewell will maybe do that more than anybody else because he will block for Matt Ryan. And then whoever replaces Matt Ryan and maybe be your left tackle for a decade or more. And that's, invaluable in the nfl but mm-hmm. i don't know if the falcons would do that either i don't think that's like the sexy pick right so to me yeah. pitts, pitts is the one that it kind of keeps coming back to because i think that he can offer a team a lot i think whatever team takes him is going to be very happy that they took him but if you take kyle pitts you also have to understand that if they play him as a even semi-traditional tight end that's a hard learning curve and a learning curve that frankly will take over a year. So the expectations need to be in check in his rookie year. But I think that that will be doable as well because it's not like he's coming in as the number one option. He's probably coming in as option, what, three behind Julio and behind Calvin Ridley. So that to me, I think could give him a chance to get acclimated, which could be better for Kyle Pitts than anything else.
2: Speaking of the folks who are going to be taking Kyle Pitts or, or whoever they end up taking, uh, what's your early impression of Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith in Atlanta? I, I think fans are generally pretty excited. Um, we, we don't know these guys well, but we, we feel like the change is a good one. Um, what's, what's sort of your thought on the job they've done so far, their philosophy, and what you're hoping to see from them?
3: Well, I mean, let's be honest. I, I've covered this team for all of three weeks. <laughs> um so there's that I have yet to be in a press conference with them but okay, I guess so I need an authoritative take is what I'm <laughs> Right yeah so I'm going to give you an I'm going to give you this is the definitive decision definitive answer uh no I mean the reality is this I think they did the best they could with the options they had in free agency because they weren't going to be able to spend nor frankly should they have been spenders because how many times do you see big free agent team spenders end up not doing well in the actual season yep. so <laughs> i mean it's you you can look and statistically i think it's like a 50 50 proposition maybe even a little bit less so i think they did what they had to do they got some depth i covered Duron harman last year i think Duron harman is a good safety he's got good clothes i believe his closing speed is still there. It was there at least in the beginning of the year last year. He's got good closing speed. He's very smart, very instinctual, and he'll be a guy who can be a starting safety for you for a year or two. Uh, Obviously a one-year contract, but you know, you see kind of what happens. Eric Harris, he started last year, two years ago, rather. And, I think he's another guy, again, on a one-year deal that makes a lot of sense. So you got veterans at the safety spot where if you draft a safety now, you don't have to thrust them into the lineup right away, which I think is a helpful thing and a smart thing. Brandon Copeland's a guy I know pretty well. I've covered, again, with the Lions. And he's a guy that can play multiple places, is more of a special teams guy. I like what they did on the defensive line, just bringing back guys. And the thing I like the most of what they did, truthfully, is that except for Mike Davis, all these guys are on one-year contracts. So you're basically saying, listen, we're, we're putting this together for one year and then we're going to see what it looks like after this season. If it goes well, then, you know, you're building on something. If it doesn't go well, well, that's more of a, a sign to maybe go into more of a fuller rebuilding type of situation. And, you know, at that point, I think with the conversation we were having before about Matt Ryan, conversation that probably could end up having about Julio Jones – becomes even more and more relevant because it will be clear at that point that they would need to kind of start over and maybe, you know, build around Calvin Ridley, build around Deion Jones, build around Grady Jarrett, some other players that can still be in their primes two, three years, you know, 2023, 2024, when you would have a lot of your other players at that point getting up to speed and you need to fill out a roster and filling it out with one year deals versus giving guys multi-year contracts, which, I mean, the Falcons were not in a position to do from a cap perspective anyway. To me, it was a smart thing, and it showed that Terry Fontenot was going to be very prudent with his decision-making. Arthur Smith, listen, he's a guy that basically every team that had an opening wanted to talk to him. He showed, he, in a passing league, he showed he can, that you can still win running the ball, which I think was a very underrated thing in Tennessee. And he did it with a guy in Derrick Henry who was a good back. And he turned him he helped turn him into a great back. He helped resurrect Ryan Tannehill's career. Like the guy can coach and moreover than anything else. This is a guy that, I mean, everybody knows his backstory. I think at this point, right? Like, it's not like he he wants to do this. This isn't like, uh, I need to do this. I need to hang on and just go where, you know, I need that. I, I just need it. Like, it's like, no, like he really wants to do this because he can go do something else. You know, he, he has that flexibility financially. So that to me is also really interesting, but he's a guy that's looked at as very innovative. I've listened to a lot of his press conferences. I've listened to when he's done various interviews and his, uh, the this athletic story that Jeff Schultz did with him, I thought was incredibly enlightening as far as how he approaches kind of, staying unpredictable with the offense now a lot of coaches say that it's very popular and buzzwordy and and really every team gets figured out to some extent but i liked what i heard from arthur smith there and i'm curious to see more than anything else when it comes to him this is an offense like the tennessee offense was very much built on the run well the options that he has right now would frankly lend more to being a passing offense i think everybody agrees with that right like i mean right now like mm-hmm. yes. right now mike davis is starting running back and i think mike davis can be can be good in that role but i don't think he can be derrick henry and mike davis has even kind of said you know well, i'm not derrick henry <laughs> so uh that was paraphrasing by the way that was not his actual quote that was very much paraphrasing um so to me i look at it and say well let's see what arthur smith can do with a maybe a pass first offense and I think that running backs a the position they'll probably address in the draft and maybe they address it on day two. Uh, and you know, if you get a guy like Travis Etienne, for instance, like that guy's a re- or Najee Harris, like those guys are really good runners. And then maybe you can build on that as well and then build that that vaunted quote unquote balance that every team strives for and no team really ever gets. So I, I look at it and I'm really curious to see what Arthur Smith does there. But it's still early. I mean, everybody's still in the honeymoon phase here from a general manager and a head coach standpoint because so, there's zero and zero they haven't made a draft pick that people can get upset about yet they haven't even made a big free agent signing that people can get annoyed with yet because they just didn't have those options i mean i think the most that anyone can really you know maybe get a little perturbed about was restructuring matt ryan but let's be honest like you kind of had to do that and you're if, whether you did it before free agency or before the draft or after the draft to fit rookie contracts and it was going to happen at some point so yeah. uh you know right now i think that they've kind of just done what they've been able to do and that's basically where they are so that's a long answer for saying i have no real strong opinion on the job <laughs> they've done because they've just done what they did <laughs> oh i
1: love it long answers for no opinion Welcome to the Falcoholic Podcast. This is our
3: brand. Um, (laughs) Well, I think that I could fit in well here. You already fit in perfectly. Having me back again, (laughs) if I haven't completely turned off all of
1: your listeners, not in the least. Um, But we do have to pay bills, so uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay.
1: Just go to Frito-Lay No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends four three, 2023 void hip Here's where the snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-Lay snack We are back on the Falcoholic podcast. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by Gina Kelly, Dave Choate and Michael Rothstein of ESPN talking about his transition into Atlanta to cover the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Michael, you had a tweet earlier today and it caught my eye because number one, um, I'm a big fan of PFF uh, and it just, I feel like they they, they give a good sort of checkoff point to, to, you know, verify against what you're seeing with your own eyes. But more importantly uh, for this season, they have a mock draft simulator and uh, you did have, a, you had four different options here. I want to talk about one in particular, cause you, you sort of took the three that people have been talking about most the one you just talked about Kyle Pitts um, one with a quarterback and Trey Lance and the other one with uh, Panay Sewell, the offensive lineman Um, that fourth option, you had the Falcons trading back with Washington. And I think this is very poignant because Alex Smith uh, announced his retirement today. So any hope that Washington may have had of, of, you know, trying to lure him back uh, to start one more season for them is gone. Obviously they've parted with Dwayne Haskins um, we've heard of two teams that people think in theory could trade up with the Falcons um, in the mid rounds. You know, we're, we're sort of excluding Denver from this conversation at this point. Uh, one is Washington and obviously the other one is new England who incidentally has had a lot of scouts at um, the, the pro days for both Justin Fields and Trey Lance realistically though. Um, and I know the draft is always a wild card, but in your mind, Trading back for the Falcons. Number one, what kind of draft capital do you think uh, the Falcons are going to need to be looking for? And and again, knowing that Dan Snyder has made this kind of move in the past. Um, and then number two, is this a move that you think maybe for a new general manager could buy him additional time in, in a way? Because he is buying sort of future draft picks and not necessarily banking on the guy this year. Like you said, that top five pick is sort of a guy that you're, you're really anchoring yourself to trading back sort of gets you out of that conundrum um, for this year. So what are your thoughts on that trading back scenario for the Falcons at this point?
3: If I were Terry Fontenot, that would be my first and preferred option because if you look at the roster, like we talked about earlier with the, quarterback situation and what you're going to do with Matt Ryan and and what you may or may not be able to do with Matt Ryan to me, trading back makes the most sense because you need to repair the defense. The defense has a lot more holes, a lot more issues than your offense does right now, but there's no player at number four that makes any sense to draft defensively. Mm -hmm. Just they're not, I mean, I talked to Mel Kiper about this back when I was still covering the Lions at they at seven and we talked about defensive players there because they also need help on defense. And we talked about Micah Parsons and we talked about some of the corners. And the reality is the elite players in this draft are all offensive players, like the elite of the elite of the elite. I think there are some very, very talented defensive players in this draft. Caleb Farley, Micah Parsons, uh, JC Horn among them. And I just can't see any of them going at number four. So if you really want to fix the defense and that's what you need to do, then your best interest to me is trading back. If you're not in love with one of the quarterbacks, what's your best interest? Probably trading back. Because if you trade back to nine, if Denver decided to trade up, let's just say that, right? You might be able to get a future. You might be able to get a first next year. Potentially, you might not get much more than that, potentially, but you might be able to get another first next year. If you trade back further with New England, with Washington, you're either getting maybe young players back, potentially, if they're going to trade that far up, or you're going to get a boatload of capital draft wise. And that hopefully, if you are the Falcons, would include a first round pick in 2022 or 2023. And why is that important? Well, it's important because then the Falcons would have two first round picks in 2022 and or 2023. And in doing so, if you don't take that quarterback this year and all of a sudden things aren't going well and you say, all right, you need a quarterback. Well, that gives you the potential capital and ammo to trade up next year to get a quarterback. If there's a quarterback you're in love with, you know, say you say the Falcons season doesn't go well and they end up picking eight or nine. Let's just say that right or 10 and all right there's two three quarterbacks that that you like in that draft well if you all of a sudden have the eight or nine pick you can package that with whatever pick you got from last year for for this year for trading back and then maybe get up to three or get up to two similar to what san francisco did this year to get that quarterback that you believe in in the future and then it goes back even further to that if you still have matt ryan on your roster then you're in that one year window that like alex smith patrick mahomes type you know uh eli manning daniel jones type window versus a potential two-year window so to me that's why trading back would make the most sense is if you're not in love with one of the quarterbacks and if you can find a partner because that's the key to all of this right because every team would love to trade down except for jacksonville every team would (laughs) love to trade down but you need a partner to want to trade up and pay that value in order to make it happen Uh, i've had GM that I once covered basically said, yeah, you you need a partner. Like that's how this happens. And to me, I think what happens at three, because I think a lot of people are really two and three, you know, will determine what type of partners Atlanta might have at number four to make a trade. And also how far are you willing to go down if you're Terry Fano? If you go down at 15 or 19 and you pick up a second this year, another second this year and you pick up a first next year, I think that was the trade I made Um, with Washington was first and second this year and like a first and fourth or third next year. And I threw in like a sixth this year or something like that. I I don't remember it exactly. That was like 12 hours ago Um, (laughs) that (laughs) um, basically to me, you do that. You're able to you can focus more heavily defensively. Um, It's going to be a pick that's not going to cost you as much money and it's going to really allow you to say take an edge rusher, take an interior defender, take a linebacker or take a corner, all of which, or a safety, all of which you need. I know, you know, there's some fans out there that I've heard from today who said, oh, but I think they're pretty set at linebacker. I'm like, yeah, your top end linebackers are really, really good. Like they are, they're incredibly talented, but there's no depth there. And, yeah. um, you know, at least one is a free agent after the year and you only have what four linebackers at the moment I think if i'm remembering correctly i'm still i'm not 100% well versed can do this without staring at it the roster just yet but like with well, four linebackers on the roster like that's not a lot of linebackers so they they need defensive help at, at every level and i think you can go and do that this isn't a great defensive tackle draft so you know you have Grady Jarrett you're you're in good spot there so to me i think you try and get an edge rusher maybe a corner, maybe a linebacker. And you try to, to me, I think you try and trade back and then really focus on defense. And if the offensive player happens to be the best player on the board at that time, like, let's just, for argument's sake, say they trade from four to nine, right? And Justin Fields happens to somehow still be there at nine. And you, at that point, are like, you know what? The value for Justin Fields is really good at nine. And I picked up, you know, an extra first next year and an extra second this year. Like, all right, I'm going to take Justin Fields. Like, that's different to me than at four. And so to me, that's, that's the play I would make if I am Terry Fontenot and I had that option. We just don't know what those options are going to look like and whether, whether those options are going to exist uh, 10 days from now.
1: Yeah, it's all easy on paper.
3: It is. I Listen, again, not to go back to the Lions, right? Like, and I really try hard not to compare the franchise I used to cover and the franchise I cover now. But this was a conversation. This was the exact conversation last year at three with the lions and they ended up staying put and taking jeff okuda uh but a lot of a large segment of the fan base wanted them to take tua no one really wanted to take justin herbert and i think that maybe if they had to do it over again they would uh, want them to take justin herbert but yeah i mean that that's part of the conversation is what do you do and part of the issue from my understanding was i don't think that the trade offers were there at three mm-hmm. last year and you know those are decisions you have to make and to me terry Fontenot has to figure out well you know, do I like what I see if I'm offered something at four? And if I am, I I take it because that's the one luxury that Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith have right now is they have the luxury of time. They have the luxury of knowing they have a couple of years, three years, four years. I mean, Arthur Blank has shown to be a, a pretty patient owner and let them really kind of figure things out. At least that's how I've viewed it from afar. So I think that that's a value play where maybe you can trade back and understand like, Hey, I don't want to be drafting this high again, but I can always trade up to get to this spot. If I need a quarterback in the future.
2: Now I'm not going to hold you to this, but you know, uh, he will hold you to this. I, I will. <laughs> it, it'll be a blood. It'll be a blood thing. I, people are still holding me accountable for preferring Glenn Dorsey in 2008.
3: So and for- Glenn and Dorsey for was schedules. a heck of a oh. player. <laughs>
2: he was he was it should have worked out um but (laughs) one through four how does this thing go like just your gut feeling um right who's going Um, where who's atlanta ending up with
3: yeah so i mean clearly um you know sam enlinger or ian book are gonna go at number one overall (laughs) and (laughs) no i I mean trevor lawrence is going number one to jacksonville i think And, and by the way i I, you know, I bought in, I mentioned those two guys because in those four mock drafts, I did, I drafted Ian book with one and Sam Engler with the other. And I think either one of those would be fine developmental type quarterbacks to have on, on your roster. I watched a lot of Ian book uh, over the last couple of years, living up here, having f- formerly covered Notre Dame, having friends that are Notre Dame fans. Like I've watched a lot of Ian book. I think that there's, there's a lot there to like, but that's not what you asked. So. One, Trevor Lawrence. Two, Zach Wilson. I think that that really seems to be where that's headed. And then there's number three. And I have no idea. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't... I You know, I, listen, there's... I, I don't... I, you know, I, I think... I You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just have such a tough time seeing the Mac Jones stuff being, like, real, but... Yeah, the draft always surprises same. me. So maybe the Mac Jones stuff is real. And if it's Mac Jones, then the Falcons have a lot of choices. I personally, I don't see the Falcons taking Mac Jones at four if Mac Jones is no. there. I, I don't see that. That would be a surprise to me. But so what does that leave it for, right? So let's say, all right, let's say that they take Mac Jones at three. Let's just say San Francisco does that, right? They're going to take a quarterback. That much we know.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I think if they cannot trade down, I think they take Kyle Pitts.
0: Ooh, I love it.
3: If they do, if they can't trade, I think they do. But again, understand that is just my pure one hundred percent, one hundred thirty percent opinion. That is not coming with any. <laughs> Again, I've covered this team for three weeks. If I had covered this team for a year, I would feel much better about this conversation and where it was going. I've covered this team for three weeks. So understand that uh, any con- anything I am, ha- it's not even like an educated guess more than like just covering the league for how as long as I've covered it and bouncing around and, and talking to different people uh, type of thing. Uh, this is not like a I I feel this is going to happen or like I feel confident about this. No, I don't feel confident about that that decision at all. Only because one thing that I've been very impressed with about Terry Fontenot so far is he's kept everything very close. Like I don't think there's been many leaks or anything like that. I I think everything's very been very speculative, and that that's a credit to Terry Fontenot. Uh, for for being willing to do that. And I think it is what could, uh, at the end of the day, put them in a position where they can get a trade because they're not telegraphing anything. There are people like a bunch who are talking about Kyle Pitts. There are, is no one really talking about Sewell, which makes me wonder, by the way, because sometimes it's the guy that no one's talking about. <laughs>
1: exactly.
3: Um, and then there's a bunch of people talking about Justin, you know, Justin Fields to an extent and Trey Lance. So it's like, all right, well, they're doing a good job keeping that interest going so on draft night you know if the board goes how it goes and there's a team that really wants fields or really wants lance or heck really wants mac jones and it's like you know what i can't i can't risk it getting a six i can't risk cincinnati saying you know what we want more picks we're going to trade out of five i I think you may be able to get one or two offers and and one you like. And then if you're Terry Fontenot, like I said, if I'm Terry Fontenot, I take the trade down if it's something that I feel is really good value, unless I'm really in love with a quarterback. And they've put a lot of a lot of eyeballs on Trey Lance. I think everybody understands that. So they're doing their due diligence as they should. Like that's the other thing when it comes to uh, – I think y'all, y'all have been around for long enough, you know this – everybody meets with everybody especially this year when every almost everything is over zoom so it's like when you read some oh wow they've met with well yeah everybody meets with everybody like they're of course they're the falcons are going to meet with every top player possible because you don't know how this draft is going to go at four and half the time like this is the reality too is half of those meetings back when we had those the top 50 visits half of those meetings sometimes were hey we think team in our division X is going to take player Y. So we want to learn a little bit about him because we might be able to use that down the road or, you know what? I don't know if we're going to get this player here, but three, four years from now, this player might be a free agent and you're hoping you're still there. So you have a base. Like that's what some of those meetings are. And you know, that's why everything that happens in draft season, I say, take with the tiniest grain of salt
1: these guys are not telegraphing the way that most fans think they're telegraphing.
3: No, they're not. I mean, if, if you think that them showing up and watching a guy is telegraphing, I, I mean, I guess, but like they're also doing their job like that. Like you can only you, Trey Lance hasn't Trey Lance has played one game in two years and you can only have three people at, at a pro day, which is part of why you're having two pro days. So yeah, guess what? You might've sent a contingent to six of six, If you're the Falcons initially, but you didn't have that option. So of course you're going to do that. You can't have them in for a private workout, which you normally would have done or gone to campus for a workout. So you need to send more people out there. It's just a different game this year. So I think that so much of of like, hey, this person's done this, this person's done that is not as valid in some ways because of just the the lack of being able to scout in person during the regular season. And the lack of being able to bring guys in really meet with guys, whether it's at the combine, whether it's at pro days, whether it's at, in private workouts uh, or top visit, top 50 visits that we've seen in years past. And, you know, even going back to last year's draft, like there was at least the in season scouting and the combine last year,
1: mm-hmm.
3: this year, mm-hmm. there's none of that. So to me, that's why I think you're seeing so much of this. And and that's why I guess for me, I've paid attention to it, but I haven't really, it, nothing's really piqued my interest or like made me think all that much. Okay. That might mean something. And maybe it does. And maybe I'm proven wrong in 10 days, but to me, it doesn't, it's just showing a team doing its due diligence. And if, if I were a Falcons fan, I would see that and I'd say, okay, at least the team is taking, is doing the process correctly. And that's, you know, 75% of the time, half the battle. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and um, I'm going to uh, switch gears again, guys. We're switching gears.
3: Switching gears.
0: Switching gears. Um, I
3: y'all want need a sound b- effect for that. Just saying, <laughs> we had one for a
0: while. We did. Was, yeah, we burned
1: it out after ten
0: episodes.
1: <laughs> it was just um, me saying
2: it in a really aggressive <laughs> way. So
0: <laughs> it was, but I'm switching to gears. Back- <laughs> Because we were having all of us, such a lovely conversation before we started recording and you know, the mm. fans didn't get to hear that. And I want to go back to green Matthew McConaughey's book. And that piqued my interest because two people have recommended that to me. You are one and Christian McCaffrey is the other. And so I take that company. Curious. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He was super excited about it. Mm. The last time I interviewed him just a few weeks ago. And so I do have the audiobook downloaded. I am so busy with draft stuff that I haven't really gotten into it yet, so tell I would love for you to tell listeners and us what we can expect from that one.
3: yeah, sure, absolutely. I thought you were going to uh pivot to our mutual celiac problem oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was get I was getting ready for that uh, but you know we can talk green lights instead that's fine um. <laughs> By the way, I think it's also worth mentioning because it will come up at some point uh, and I just want to get it out of the way now because I know it was something that really kind of annoyed some Lions fans. I am not a Falcons fan. I'm getting that out of the way right now. I'm not a fan of any team. I don't like, I don't love your team. I don't hate your team. My job is to cover your team. <laughs> and, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it's true. And, and that Absolutely. was something that, that I know bothered some and on every beat I've ever covered. Bothers some fans. And I just wanted to get that out there right out of the gate. Like so that way there's no no questions about that. I'm gonna call it like I see it or and and really try and, you know, kind of toe the level and, and toe the line. That's what I tried to do. Anyway, on to green lights. Um yeah, I love the book. It was actually recommended to me by another mentor of mine, a guy named Jerry Madelon, who worked at ESPN for a long time and does a lot of consulting around the league right now uh, with players and coaches. And I was talking with Jerry. I guess it was in December or so. And he recommended this book so highly to me. And I I was skeptical because I read a lot. I try to read. uh, I'm actually finally on pace for 50 books a year. Usually I end up reading between somewhere 30 and 43, 44. Those who end up, who will end up following me on social media. uh, I will usually post my book list at the end of the year. Uh, Last year was a bad year. I only read 18, but you know, COVID Uh, Mm -hmm. just, I kind of, diverted attention and watched all the Marvel Marvel movies and TV series in chronological order instead. But uh, Green Lights. So I I just thought it was a really interesting book from a perspective of, I don't think Matthew McConaughey wrote it as like a self-help book or like an inspiration book, but it, it read like that to me and there was just stuff in there and i'm staring at the book right now it's far i can't reach for it but like i i dog-eared some pages because i was like oh that's really interesting advice or that's really an interesting way to approach something or that's just an interesting philosophy and it just kind of got me thinking as i was reading it about just different different approaches that maybe you wouldn't think of or different approaches that successful people take and, and I'm uh-huh. always interested in books like that, and that's really what to me Green Lights felt like. Plus, it was funny. I mean, Matthew McConaughey has had a really interesting career arc and a really interesting career, and I thought that some of the choices he made in roles and some of how he got some of the roles he got, including his role in Days and Confused, which really launched his career,
0: uh-huh.
3: uh, kind of showed the power of taking a chance and just kind of showed. Varying things that I think were applicable. Lessons maybe applicable to larger, to to more than just acting or more than just um, Hollywood, and that to me made it something that I mean I breezed through it in about five days, uh, and and really really enjoyed it, and and probably. You know, I, there are probably like a handful of books that maybe I'll reread that I reread every once in a while. And that might be one of them because I felt like there was enough in there that like if I read it a second time a year from now, I would maybe take other things from it. Because I think when you read it, at what point in your life you're in could really uh-huh. change how how that book hits you and how that book affects you. Uh, it, it's the rare um, kind of celebrity type book that I would A, read and B, that I think made an impact uh, on me. <laughs> And by the way, I I say that having also just finished yesterday, Arthur Blank's book, Good Company. uh, And I thought (laughs) that, that, yeah, no, I, well, I mean, listen, that's my job now. That's like, that was required reading for me. Um, And I learned a lot. It was really interesting to, to read some of his philosophies. Um, So my dad owned a, or was, he was high up in a a small clothing company uh, when I was growing up. He's since, uh, no longer works at the company, semi-retired now. But like I saw how he ran his business and and all of that, so it was it, I like reading business type books uh, and decision making type books because I think that it it kind of helps you in in kind of seeing things differently. Like a book that I recommend to a lot of people now uh, was written by Olivier Sibony. It's called "You're About to Make a Terrible Mistake." Uh, I read it last year, and it's all about like we were talking about, I think earlier. Uh, I don't remember if it was on air or off air. We're talking about biases and and confirmation biases. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's all about the biases you have and how to take them out of your decision-making process and your thought process. And it was an eye-opening book to me. I Mm. I highly recommend it to anybody, uh, especially fans of teams, frankly, because it's all about decisions. And half of the decisions that you think a team makes are maybe having some bias in it, even if people don't think there are biases in it. So I would recommend that book um, as well. Uh, I actually gave it to a friend of mine who's a manager uh, here in Detroit at a company and because he had to make a hire and I was just talking about the book with him and some of my friends and he was like, oh, can I borrow that? And I was like, yeah, here you go. And he was like, you, you dog-eared like 30 pages in this. I was like, yeah, sorry about that.
2: <laughs> like, but, and I like highlighted and underlined
3: and I'm usually not that type of person. I'm like a notes person. Like I have a notebook mm-hmm. out or I have my phone. So, uh, yeah, uh, I know you asked me about green lights and I hope I gave you some answer there, but I also made a, uh, at least one other recommendation. I, 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 I try to, uh, like I said, I'm a big reader. I try to well, really give good recommendations on that.
0: And that does lead me to my follow-up question, which is, would you like to join my book
3: club? We meet for <laughs> sure. brunch
0: to, to discuss books. Yeah, sure.
3: So, I, uh, all right, I'm, great. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know where y'all are. And I'm current, so maybe this is apropos because I'm moving and I'm moving from Uh a larger apartment to a smaller apartment. So I I, I picked up from the library, uh, the Marie Kondo book and that's my next next book. Yeah. I'm pretty stoked about that. But after that, yeah, I'm in, Uh, I'm I'm all, I joined sort of joined one book club this year with uh, a former editor of mine who now works at the athletic. And then I actually miss, I read the book. Uh, I didn't love the book, but I read the book. Uh, that was the book. And I then missed the book club meeting and it was over Zoom and they like only have it quarterly because mm-hmm. it was around the time I think I had gotten back from Atlanta that day um to decide whether I wanted to move there or not. Or it was like the day out <laughs> the day before. And I, my brain was just done and I completely spaced out on uh the book club meeting. I don't so I don't know if it means that book club anymore. So yes, I'm looking for a book club. I'd <laughs> love to join your book club.
0: Okay. Perfect. Well, we will go to brunch various places around Atlanta and discuss books there. So I'll I, keep you posted.
3: I, I am all, once I get down to Atlanta, I am all in on that. That, that sounds Excellent. fantastic. Fantastic.
1: Um, Michael, we're, we're getting close to, uh, an hour and I want to respect your time, but. Oh, we're, uh, f- we're having fun. We're good. If you guys have more <laughs> questions, I'm, I'm good to rock and roll. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you, and, and uh, I'm going to close this out, um, but we absolutely have to get you back on the podcast uh, here in the future as well. Um, any last thoughts for, cause obviously, you know, the, the Falcoholic readers and listeners um, are passionate um, fans of the, the Falcons and uh, they're just getting to know you. They, as you mentioned earlier, at the very beginning um, losing Vaughn McClure, who was just such a fantastic reporter uh, mm-hmm. who covered the team so well. And I know it was, uh, you know, both Gina and Dave uh, were, were close to him as well. Um, what do you hope to bring to the Atlanta Falcons coverage for uh, those who are looking forward to seeing what you know what you have to offer uniquely compared to you know some some great reporters in Atlanta? You mentioned Jeff Schultz at the Atlantic. Um, you know, we've got, uh, the one and only, uh, D Orlando
3: led uh, from the AJC.
1: So what is it that you hope to, to bring to Atlanta as you cover the
3: Falcons? And don't, by the way, don't forget Tori McElhaney from the athletic. Oh, House. she's oh, fantastic. Toria. She does she's some wonderful. great work. Yeah. Don't, 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 yes. don't, we're a big fan of hers. Yep. Yeah. Don't, yes. don't forget her when you're talking about that. Uh, I don't know. That's a tough question. I mean, the way Trying to think of this is the toughest question you probably asked me. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no I, um you know I hope that that readers understand that like, you know, like I said, I'm not a fan. I I try to come come at things from reporting and from what I'm seeing and using my senses and understanding things uh in, in what I write. And that's generally like my football analysis and in in my football, in like the reporting I do. I, I also really I like telling human interest stories because I'm a big believer that at the end of the day, we're all people. They, you know, the Falcons players and coaches and front office staff and owner just happen to be people that you as a Falcons fan care about. And I want to tell you their stories to you. And it may not always be. Uh, a football-related story. And that those are the stories, I think, if you go back and look at what I've written about with the Lions. I also cover boxing and some MMA as well for ESPN. If you look at a lot of the boxing stories that I have written um, that are not off of uh, fights themselves, uh, it's a lot of human interest, a lot of issues that maybe... Ma- like. Taking a player, uh, here's I'll give you an example. Um, so a couple of years ago, I wrote about a player named Armonte Bryant. Uh, Armonte Bryant was a guy who bounced around the leaves, seventh round pick of the Browns. He was with the Browns. He was with, with the Lions. He was with the Raiders. I think he was somewhere else too, and he had been suspended one or two times. Uh, and he had to retire from the NFL at I think it was I'm going to butcher this, but it was like 27 or 28, and he had to retire because in a test with the Raiders uh, after he had signed in a physical. It was determined that he had incredibly high potassium levels and it turned out he was in renal failure and needed to go on dialysis oh immediately. Gosh. So he had to retire. Uh, so I, I got wind of this. Actually, he had posted it on Instagram and, you know, Armonty Bryant was not a big name player or anything like that. So I think a lot of people just didn't see it. Um, and and I did and I reached out to he, th- I reached out. They like were raising money to try and help get him a kidney. And I just reached out and his wife called me back. And I missed the call because I was in locker room and I called back and they didn't call me back. And that was in October. And I kind of reached out a couple other times. I didn't hear back from them. And then uh, I was sitting at home in January, and uh, this was January of 2019, and I was kind of, I not want to say I was bored, but I was just kind of going through, I have, a, I have a massive story list that I generally will generate, and I'm actually in the process of it now, of like stories I want to tell, stories that interest me, it always kind of rotates and, and goes through stuff, and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to try and reach out to them one more time. Let's just see what happens here. I'm curious what's going on here. There hasn't been an update in a while. So I reach out and his wife calls calls me back that day. It turns out she's from Long Island. She's actually not from uh, all that far away from where I grew up. Uh, and we know some, like one or two people she knew that I knew. It's a Long Island thing, even though there's like 15 million people there or whatever. <laughs> uh, and But they trusted me to tell their story. And... I told the story about that our Monty Bryant needed a kidney in order to survive. Um, wow. That story. I I can tell you that millions of people read that story or at least clicked on it. And that's, they were the, the Bryans were overwhelmed with people who were interested in, in donating,
1: uh,
3: or getting tested. I got 50 messages on my own. How do I do this? Um, happy ending of this is a year later, Armandy Bryant got a kidney right as, co- right before COVID really hit California. Um, and I was actually supposed to fly out there to write about his recovery process. We ended up having to do it over Zoom like six months after. But they, you know, they are convinced that it was an anonymous donor. It was, they, I don't, I still don't think they know who the donor was. I haven't talked to them in a couple of months um, just because life's been a little bit hectic. Uh, sure uh but yeah i mean those are the type of stories i like telling because yeah that was a story about an nfl player and people cared and, and and it got a lot of attention but it was also a story about organ donation and it was a story that about a real issue in the united states because you know organ donation is something that that you know people they they're the waiting lists for people who need organs are much longer than the, the people willing to donate organs. And uh, actually, I mean, I've said this publicly before, so I, I don't think this is really speaking too out of school. Like, I, it actually made me decide to be an organ donor um, working wow. on that story. It, it's one of the most impactful stories I've, I've told in my career. Like, so those are the types of stories I like to tell, the, the off-field stories. Like, that's what I'm hoping to bring once I'm acclimated in the community and once I'm acclimated with the Falcons, because those are stories that don't happen overnight or with trust like that you know those are stories that happen with trust brandon copeland a falcon i can we can talk a little bit about this like i've written a lot about brandon copeland uh because brandon copeland is a professor at the university of pennsylvania i went with him to his class at upenn uh the first year he taught it in 2019 and i actually sat in on one of his classes this year at penn um because he asked me if I wanted to kind of come and see where, where it had evolved into. And he actually made me participate, which was really awkward being the 40 year old <laughs> sitting there talking to a 21 year old about budgeting. It was really <laughs> a, a, an, a, an interesting conversation. But yeah, I, I mean, I've written about that. Uh, he also worked at a hedge fund and he's Forbes 30 under 30. Like he's a very, in- Brandon Copeland's a very interesting guy. Like I like writing stories about interesting people as well. Romeo Aquara, who just signed up a, a big contract with the Lions, I went with him to Rescue 2 in New York, which was a firehouse that lost basically their entire crew that was on shift during 9-11. And wow. he he spent about a year there. He started this project when he was with the Giants, and then he got let go and got signed by the Lions, and he followed through on the project. He's a photographer in his downtime, along with a big John Mayer fan and follows the Grateful Dead around occasionally. Like, really interesting dude. Big, But he's a big-time photographer, and he was working on a project. Um where he basically was telling the story of this firehouse now rescue two in their old building that's an iconic building in in their section of brooklyn and he i went with him for a day to that firehouse and watched him take photos that that photo exhibition ended up being in the leica store in new york for about three to four months some Hmm. of his photos were sold Uh, and then it was supposed I don't know if it ended up happening or not, but it was supposed to be in Bellevue, Washington at another, like a store, but again, COVID kind of disrupted that because that was in 2019 into 2020. So those are just some of the stories I've told in the last couple of years, um, that I'm proud of and that I try to tell, uh, is, you know, I, I like telling the story that, that you don't know and that you're not necessarily thinking about, uh, because it's, actually generally has very little to do with about little to do with football and has to do with just all of us being human and having interests like every person has a story every i'm a firm believer in that and it's just a matter of finding out what that story is and some of them are really happy stories and some of them are tragic are tragic stories but i try to find those stories and that's what i like to tell uh when i'm not writing about football and, you know, all that said, I'm going to do my best to give you the best football analysis I can give you insight that maybe you're not getting elsewhere. Uh, and, and that's what I'm going to try to do. And some days I'm going to do it, hopefully, and do it well. And there are other days where, you know, like you said, this is a competitive beat. And uh, I have all the respect in the world for for Jeff and for Tori and for D-Led. And, and there are going to be days where they beat me. And I know that. And, you know, you, you get, you know, as long as, to me, as long as you have that perspective, like, you know, it's... I'm going to do my best every day to tell interesting stories and find stories that that hopefully you, the reader, A, find interesting and and B, find valuable and C, hopefully uh, enjoy and take something from. Absolutely. Uh, fantastic Sorry, answer. Sorry, didn't mean you to go was, long. No, 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 again. no, no, not at all. You, said,
1: uh, <laughs> no, you no. said it was a tough question. That was a fantastic answer. So
0: It was. And this has been super fun.
1: Oh, no, this has been a blast. Um, Dave, any final thoughts for I take us to our close here?
2: No, just appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you. Rather, I can pronounce words uh, coming on the show, and
3: <laughs> it's all right um, I'm the same way. Trust me.
2: It's, yeah, it's oh, just
0: man. Dave's New England accent. Yeah,
2: it's, uh, it's <laughs> you know it, it's it's wicked appreciated. Um, but yeah, no, just really looking forward to to seeing your coverage of the team, and I, I think it's interesting. Like you're coming in at a time where so much is changing with the Falcons um, after so much has been so familiar for so long. So just really, really interested to see how you tackle that and, uh, and really looking forward to it.
3: Thank you. I appreciate that. Dave. Yeah. So
1: on that note, as we wrap up, uh, Michael, again, thank you so much for joining us. I hope we can get you back on here in the future. Um, sure. If anytime to do it. Absolutely. Um, without a doubt. So if you would let our listeners and our readers know where they can find you social media and what you've got going on.
3: Yeah, sure. So you can find me on way too many social media platforms at Mike Rothstein. That's going to be Twitter. That's going to be Instagram. And although I haven't quite figured out how I want to use it yet, Clubhouse. Um, Then I am at Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And I think that those are all of my social medias. I may have a TikTok account, but I don't use it. Uh, (laughs) And... (laughs) <laughs> well, I you sign up for everything. Half the time you sign up just to make sure you lock in your name. Um, yes. Yes. And, and I but I do not use Snapchat. So uh, that, that covers my social media. And then, of course, you can read me uh, at espn.com. dot com. And uh, if you followed me so far, at least on Twitter, hopefully you see I'm as long as it's a respectful conversation, I'm really I do my best to engage with fans and because y'all y'all are the reason that you know i'm able to to do this this job for a living and tell the stories that i was just talking about and uh you know I i get to write about sports and write about people for a living and it's just an awesome job to have and i'm very cognizant of the fact that fans are the reason that i get to do that so Feel free to follow me on any of my social any of the social media platforms. I'll do my best to engage with you uh, and answer whatever questions you have. And uh, if you ever have a story idea, feel free to reach out there too. Like sometimes the best story ideas come from come from fans, and and I've had that happen in the past too. I'm not I'm not too big to to think that. So uh, like awesome. I said, Mike Roth, seen it pretty much any social media platform uh, that you can find me at. Perfect. Um, <laughs>
0: No, I did not there. <laughs> oh, um, please go to spnation.com and read our, it's our 15th annual um, team site mock draft. And so uh, you would recognize some names of the authors of the posts there Eric Robinson from The Falcoholic, and Everett Glaze have been helping me out with some posts for other sites, even. And so that's really taking up literally all of my time right now. <laughs> so please read it, <laughs> make it, make it worth my while. Um, the Falcons got Trey Lance, and so that's how that one shook out for Atlanta.
1: All right, uh, and of course, on Twitter at Gina Thomas, even though you are now Kelly.
0: Yes. Oh yeah. I guess that I was so <laughs> focused on the mock draft as usual that <laughs> I. Completely forgot that part yes yeah, that's, go that's look why i'm at here of, go look at pictures of my dogs i'm at gina thomas <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh dave as for you wrap <laughs> us up here
2: yeah um we're on a little site called the falcoholic uh I can strum my guitar and tell you about it but we're <laughs> uh we're definitely going to be we hitting the draft hard um you know we don't know what's going to happen which is really exciting i'm sure everybody's sick of hearing me say that we don't know but we're you know a little bit more than a week away from actually figuring this thing out and and understanding where the falcons are going which is tremendously exciting so we're gonna get our mock drafts wrapped up and everything tied up with a bow and um hopefully you'll join us on draft night we'll all be there with caffeine and or alcohol in hand (laughs)
1: lots and lots of alcohol um as for me guys you can follow me on Twitter at falcoholicdw, updates for this podcast at Falkaholic pod. and of course our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Michael Rothstein of ESPN and Gina Kelly and Dave Chote, I almost forgot the names. <laughs> oh, it's been a long day. Thanks. I've just I've
3: been on once and I've destroyed your podcast. <laughs> Oh, man.
1: Uh, This is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in, and we will talk with you next time.